The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. The award-winning podcast that's never won an award. It's like if a camera flash had a sound. Join the conversation on our social media. Another fun-filled and exciting episode. You're listening to Just Some Podcast. And here's your hosts, Ben and Tom. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, Ben, how's it going, man? Well, you know, usually, well, first of all, this this week had just been horrible. I'm just going to say everything I did this week was a train wreck, okay? So we'll, we'll just start with that. I mean, I work at home. Today is Valentine's Day. I, I That's how hard we're working for you people is we're recording on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Are we out doing sexy things with our significant others and no. going to dinner? And, nope. No. We're here recording for you. But, okay, so. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Can I, can I just say one thing? Yes, go ahead. You sound exceptionally better this week. Can you tell me why? Yes, Ben. And that's <laughs> let's let's go ahead and get into this. And just so everybody knows, we have a guest on the show, Miss Jen. Do you want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> okay, so she's going to laugh along with everybody else in real time as she hears this story. So the reason I sound so different for those that listen on a regular basis is, well, so here's the background. Ben and I around Christmas time decided to invest a little more in the show. So we got microphones and mixers, etc. so that we could sound better. Ben sounded so much better, at least I thought so. But I sounded the same. No matter what I did, we I bought soundproofing. I soundproofed the room I record in. I bought special mic stands. I did everything, and I still <laughs> sounded the same. I could not. It was That's driving true. me absolutely batshit crazy trying to figure out what was going on. I just couldn't do it. So the other night... Oh boy. So yeah, never, nobody can ever say I'm afraid to make an idiot of myself. We were recording the outro to last week's episode because we'd recorded with Jeff for so long that Tom and I had to get back on and record the outro. Yeah. And, and he's, uh, what happened, Tom? Yeah. He, Ben's like, Hey, Tom, uh, we need to record this outro. We need to record a commercial. So we get on here in the middle of the night and I'm like, Oh my God, dude, I'm like falling asleep. We're doing all this stuff and all this fancy new equipment is all plugged into one thing for, purposes of putting it into my computer we get done recording and i go to unplug everything and uh it's unplugged what yeah yeah no one was yeah no one was more shocked than i that i had just recorded a commercial for the four state apn and an entire outro with no microphone hmm the scooby-doo gang was immediately on the case (laughs) i text ben and said get your ass back on the computer because we got to figure something out well, let's just cut to the end. I had not been using this fancy new microphone <laughs> nor mixer for 10 got 
damn episodes. I had forgot to change the settings and had one of the wires set up wrong on the mixer. And um, yeah, but I sh- have shout out to Apple for their amazing internal <laughs> microphones on their computers. Yes. That's what he's been recording on the entire time. Yes. Almost. See, so that's all you need. Yes. Almost a dozen goddamn episodes with a <laughs> brand new microphone stuck in my face thinking I'm like, oh, God, I don't know why this thing's not working right. No, no. It's working just fine. It's my brain that wasn't working correctly. So, uh, yeah, Ben. So now that we got that out of the way, and if people are wondering, like, hey, who's this new guy? It's not a new guy. Okay. (laughs) Same goddamn Tom. (laughs) I just am actually using the equipment that is appropriate for recording a fucking podcast. So you sound like butter. That's what you (laughs) do. Well, well, thank you very much. (laughs) And I I am so happy about that. And you know what I'm going to be so happy about? doing our social media with this new microphone. So Ben, I know you love it. I know you want to. I can see that look on your face. Just do it, Ben. I do love it. All right. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email, admin, at justsomepodcast.com. Why don't you email us and tell us how uh, much better Tom sounds. Hey, Tom, do you remember those Micro Machine commercials? I love those micro machine commercials. Me too. And so I'm going to try to do this commercial in that voice. You ready? Yeah. Four State AFE and invite you to the 13th annual conference of Joplin, Missouri, March 2nd, 2019. Topics will include psychiatric updates, treatments, options for diabetes, rheumatology issues, issues with pain, legislative issues, joint issues, osteoporosis, and health. They have applied for eight hours of CEUs through AANP, March 2nd, 2019, Joplin, Missouri. For some reason, I have the sudden urge to go find little machines from the 1980s and play with them. Yes, that's what I was shooting for. Anyway, March 2nd, 2019, 4 State APN, 4 State APN.ENPNetwork.com. Sign up today. I have heard, Tom, that if you sign up for this conference before February 25th, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card. Well, Ben, that sounds amazing. I know. Sign up before the 25th of February. The conference is March 2nd, Joplin, Missouri. The website, again, 4 State, the number 4. That's 4 state APN.ENP network. Well, first of all, they can give us a rating and review on all those social media sites. Then when they go to do any of that fancy Amazon shopping that they're going to do, they can go to our website. They can go to the bottom. There's an affiliate link. Click on that and then continue to do your shopping like nothing else ever happened. It's free to you and it helps out our show. And please feel free to write in and explain how much better I sound. And now that I don't sound like a bucket full of assholes when I'm talking on the air, that people actually want to listen to this thing. So I cannot wait. I actually, I'm actually hoping so. And there's one person in particular that loves to throw jabs at us on social media. I'm waiting for you, bro. Go ahead and tell me. I, I want to hear it. So now that we got that out of the way. Who would you be talking about, Tom? Jim, oh, would you know? Jen? What's up, James? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The uh, minister of education himself. I, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. But all right. Mm-hmm. Now that we got mm-hmm. some of that out of the way. Oh, you know, and Jen, I, I know we've only talked for a few minutes, you know, pre-show and stuff. But Ben has had to listen to me bitch and moan about this since literally the minute i found out like later that night at like 3 a.m i was still texting like i still can't goddamn believe i haven't been using this microphone for a dozen episodes it it was pretty uh it was traumatic 
Yeah. So I do that. I'll get yeah. stuck on one thing and just be aggravated about it for a while. Oh, well, yes. That is Tom in a nutshell right there. There you go. <laughs> so, all right, Ben, let's, I'm sure I'll make fun of myself plenty throughout this episode. So let's move forward. So I think we got a pretty interesting story of the uh, weeks people may have missed. Yeah. So stories you may have missed and, and, the area that I am in, this was big news. And then when I told Tom, hey, this is what we're going to cover, he's like, I hadn't heard that. So apparently it's just local news. But, Tom, there was a nurse that was working as a correctional nurse in a Missouri jail who's currently accused of poisoning her husband with antifreeze, setting the house on fire. Oh, my. And all of that just to marry a convicted killer with whom she had developed a romantic relationship with while he was incarcerated. So she did all that stuff to bang a dude that she couldn't even bang. What the fuck? Yeah, right. exactly. That's, That's yeah, there you go. Jen Jen just <laughs> captioned that entire story right off the bat. So, you know, the funny part is uh, well, I guess that not technically funny, but I have worked in corrections. They have these stories all the time. They're like, don't, you know, inmates oh, are yeah. people but they will try and manipulate you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll tell you right now, this is one of those like, oh, this is where the horror stories come from. I have actually worked in correctional medicine. And I think like rule number one is, okay, don't leave the doors open. And then rule number two is inmates can don't leave the doors open. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you don't want to let them out. (laughs) (laughs) And then rule number two is inmates are going to try to manipulate you. They are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week to do nothing but sit there and think. They have nothing to do. Yes, exactly. exactly. It's to don't fall for it. And there are stories all the time about people who fall in love with inmates. And this one, she uh, yeah, poisoned her husband, according to the, the court documents. She then started the house on fire. She took her son and dogs to McDonald's 22 miles away so that she would have an alibi. But come to find out that damn autopsy determined that he was dead before the fire was started, which looked a tad suspicious. It does tend to do that. I also feel bad for the guy. I mean, not to talk ill of the dead, but dude, what were you doing as a husband that you lost out to a guy on death row? Like, really, what are the options? Hey, I can buy you ice cream like that alone should be a winning factor (laughs) compared to a guy that's stuck in a jail cell. I don't. I just wonder, did this guy in jail, like, did he have any extra kind of tricks that he was doing that like God home wasn't like, what is the appeal of an inmate? Well, that's exactly all the ones I've ever seen. They always have like funky toenails. They're usually not kept up very well. You know, (laughs) that's what I was going to ask you, Jen, is from from the male perspective, I can't understand it. But from a female perspective, is there something that that guy could be doing in the jail cell that the guy at home couldn't be doing? I've heard some stories from some friends of mine that work at the jail, and I wouldn't think so. Like, I really don't understand the appeal. Like, what does he offer you? Some ramen noodles, maybe some kind of jail cooking going on there? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, he's got that nice toilet hooch merlot. Some hooch made in the toilet? Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't want that. Thongs made out of boxers? We don't need it. See, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying is how. Oh, man, I feel so I feel bad for him. I don't know. I, I mean, I saw a picture of her. I mean, I don't think she looks horrible. So I'm like, why? I mean, I don't understand it. Well, yeah. <laughs> what do you get out of it? I don't get it. Like, is he ever going to get out? What's he going to do? But of course, um, there's these shows on Lifetime or whatever where girls fall in love with these inmates and they'll live their whole life with them, get married. I don't I don't understand. He's apparently served 18 years in prison. He's eligible for parole after 25 years. The other thing that I thought was just interesting about this story is most people who work corrections know that phone calls in and out of the jail to inmates are recorded. Yeah. 
she is recorded in phone conversations, allegedly, saying that she no wanted, no longer wanted to be married to her husband, talking to the inmate. And then after his death, was quoted as saying they could be married now because he was, quote, out of the picture, unquote. She just sounds mentally ill. Like, sometimes people just find each other. I don't, like, she's right? probably just sick. I so. just, I wonder if his pickup line was something like, hey, baby, I promise in seven years I won't kill you. Like is that <laughs> like is that what he had? I know how to cook an entire Frito chili pie using a coat hanger. Like what, yeah. what was this guy gonna like, do for? Her? I just. Uh, but you know, here's the thing. I just realized, and I don't know if you know this, Jen, but our show is international. So this story, some dude in Nepal, because we have listeners in Nepal. Oh wow! Some dude in Nepal is listening to this story. Isn't that? I think that's pretty that's amazing. amazing. So hey. Sorry, people in Nepal, Brazil, Ireland, Japan, South Korea, all the other places. Um, not everybody in America is batshit crazy. So on behalf of, Amer- of America, uh, America, yeah, America, uh, <laughs> we're not like that. Oh, come on. Jen, with that accent, come on. Give me America. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, come America. On. <laughs> there we go. Oh, I knew you had it. Okay. So. Ben, is there anything else left with the story? No, other than she has basically just been recently charged, and so, of course, she is uh, innocent until proven guilty. Uh, so maybe in the future we'll have an update on, on this story, but other than that, it's just, wow. That's <laughs> where I'm going to leave it with, wow. That is crazy. Well, since we have the uh, fun and exciting story of the week out of the way, let's uh, get to know our guest a little better. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I'm good with that. Jen, what's up? Yeah, I say, Miss Jen, you want to tell us about yourself? <laughs> sure. Well, my name's Jen. I'm a nurse practitioner in cardiology. I've been working in cardiology for about a year and a half now. Before that, I was an ICU nurse for about six years. I live in Texas, and I don't know what else you'd like to know. Well, we would like to thank you for being on the show on Valentine's Day night. Oh, you're welcome. Hanging out with us. I have a boring life. No, but still, we, we appreciate it. <laughs> I was going to say, You're welcome. I was say, Jen, have you ever hit on a uh, prison inmate? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I've seen them in the ICU. That's gross. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I guess let's go ahead and get started with some just some background questions, I guess. So do you work in a hospital setting or do you work in an office setting? Okay. I work in both, actually. I work in the office one week And then I'm in the hospital the next week rounding. So that kind of serves to provide some continuity of care between my patients. So some of the ones that I've seen in the hospital will come back for follow-up and that kind of thing. So it kind of helps to correlate clinical situations and they get used to me that way. So just out of curiosity, because I don't have a schedule like that, do you enjoy that schedule of like a week in the clinic week? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty good. Like um, it kind of gets rid of some of the monotony. Like during the weeks that I'm in the clinic, like I have to be there eight to five on the weeks that I'm in the hospital. Once my stuff's done, if there's nothing that needs to be done at the office, I can go. But usually I choose to stay because that's just me. Or if the doctors need something like where they have to be called back for a STEMI or something like that, then I'll see their follow-ups and just kind of help help out that way or if there's a patient that needs to come in sooner sometimes we can just get them an expedited appointment so do you feel like your background because ben and i i've done icu but i did mostly er and i know ben was i think all er yeah all er so do you feel like your experience as an icu nurse before becoming a nurse practitioner help prepare you was there any bonuses or do you kind of wish you had done maybe a different department 
before going to nurse practitioner? Well, as far as for nurse practitioner, FMP school was kind of hard for me just because I was used to working with adults and more acutely sick patients. So when people come in with lesser problems, you're just kind of like, okay, you're not sick because you see sick people all the time. So you're kind of like, you're okay. And so their problem's not really as much of a problem to you. So I've kind of had to learn, okay, well, this is an issue right now, even though their blood pressure to me is like, okay, that's okay. That's really not what you need to worry about. Like you're treating symptoms now and trying to keep them out of the hospital. So that is a change so that um, you're doing more preventative care instead of, you know, acute and emergent things. Jen, I want you to know that you basically just stated the Tom mantra. (laughs) I don't know why you're here. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) You know, and so many times a day and look, I know it's important to that person. It just, I agree with her. Like I, I just, so many times I see people and I'm like, I, if you are sick, I have no problem. I'll spend all day trying to help you out. But when 95% of the people you see could be solved with a NyQuil bottle, I just, it just, it just flabbergasts me, I guess. I'm still, I'm still getting used to that. I'm still a very new nurse practitioner. I'm still trying to break that mold in my brain of the ER nurse. Like, yeah, 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 this is fine. Let's get to the car wreck, but there is no car wreck. So my my brain just keeps spinning. I get hung up on the things that seem like they were common sense or things like people titrating their own medications at home. Like, I'm just like, what is this? And so for a while, I had to get used to not having so much control. You know, in the hospital, you can kind of, you control everything that they do, basically. Um, You watch them on monitors. You can monitor them any kind of way you want. You watch urine, all that. But in the outpatient clinic, I'm learning that people still want you to be responsible for all the things that happen to them. But they don't want to take responsibility for their own problems. So when they don't do well, it's your fault. That's true. Yeah. Both something, especially in the ICU setting, very, like you said, I can literally control everything. I, you know, everything. Right. Like you're not getting out of the bed if I don't want you to. Yeah. You're not going to breathe hard if I don't want you to. We're just going to sit here and look at each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if you're on a vent, I could literally make you breathe 15 times a minute instead of 14. <laughs> right. Like, and not that I would ever do that, but I'm just saying you have that. No, but it's like you, you just used to controlling your environment. It, that has been a new learning curve for me. I'm glad to hear other people say things that go through my it head. It must be an ICU thing because ER, I'm just, I'm used to chaos and bullshit. So to me, it's just, hey, this is a Tuesday. You know I mean, it was... Well, so right. go on, Jen. In ICU, I mean, things aren't always controlled either, but the things that you can control, you keep a tight control of. So right. your patient doesn't always behave, but you try to keep it reined in if you can. Of course, codes happen. It, they wouldn't if you could control that. But you do as much uh, preventative measures as you can to keep those things from happening. But sometimes it just goes out of control and then you have to handle it. But see, and that's why I feel weird here. I feel like I'm that bridge because I've done ICU and I really liked ICU. But when I was in the ER setting, I felt like Ben. Like, okay, you just handle what comes to you, but you're always ready for that next bigger thing. And now I feel like a car, like a neutral. Like, okay, nothing's happening. Like, Right. Like some days I'm like, what are we doing today? (laughs) So now that we are on firm footing on our philosophy (laughs) of how things happen here. So what made you, and this is just a personal thing before we get into it, uh, like what made you want to become a nurse practitioner or what made you want to become, I should say more specifically, a cardiology nurse practitioner? Oh, okay. Well, I never really had like a certain specific thing that I wanted to do exactly, but working in ICU, I really liked that. I worked really closely with the cardiologist there in the hospital. I did take care of a lot of heart patients, post-op cabbages and things like that. And so it was just really interesting to me. I knew that the group of doctors that I wanted to work 
work with were well respected and that, you know, they were good people to work for. It's not like they're going to try to take advantage of you or put you out there, but they're also going to be supportive and help you learn and grow. They're not going to stifle you, but they're going to, they're going to help you along. So I just felt like I was still staying with family because I like to be in my comfort zone, but I still want to do things that are exciting and new and that help me to learn because I get bored easily. So by kind of stepping away from ICU and being able to get into cardiology, then I'm still with my hospital family, but yet I'm still pursuing my growth, I guess you'd say. Well, I think I've met plenty of CVI nurses like you that they just lived for those post hearts and taking care of them was fun for me or, you know, as interesting as it could be, but there's just a certain group of people that that's what they live for. Is that, is that what you're saying? You're one of them? Well, no, like I liked all kinds of patients. Like they were just all fun, but I just, I don't know. It's just, it's okay. So an opportunity presented itself and I kind of just was like, okay, that sounds good. Let's do that. But I'm kind of one of those people that if there was something else, I'm going to work where I need to work. It's not like I'm set in stone for something. Like I'm up for anything. So if I was able to do a different thing, then I probably would. I think that's still where I'm at in my career. Like I know Ben is firmly in primary care and, and he really enjoys that. And that's great. And so far I've had a good experience, but some days I still go, what if, if this came up, I'm still searching out myself. So I think that was, that pretty much hit where I'm at. I think there's probably plenty of us nurse practitioners that are like that. Right. I mean, some people, they might have one thing that they want to do. That's kind of why I went towards family because I was like, okay, there's lots that you can do. Although some places you are restricted. Some people do have questions about how you are, you can be a family practitioner and still work in the hospital setting. But as long as I don't step out of bounds and I do, you know, things that I would normally do in the clinic and manage those type things and I know when to step out, then it's okay. So people actually are complaining to you because like you're what, not acute care? Not to me, but you know, there are debates I've seen online in different places that, Uh. you know, they would prefer like acute care practitioner, which, okay, I understand that, but I'm not running codes and things like that. Like I'm going to call the physician. I mean, I am ACLS certified, but there's something that is really going down. I'm not going to stay there and handle that. I mean, I'll do it like right then if I need to, but you know what I'm saying? Like if it's something that's out of my realm of training, then I'm not going to do that. So you're not going to be like the lead on like a heart transplant surgery is what you're saying? No, not today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on some of the shows we talked about a couple episodes ago, you can do whatever you want. No. Like on Grey's Anatomy, you would totally, yeah, no, you could probably just pick the heart right up out of the guy's chest with your hand. Well, I mean, they're like, you don't even have to be a nurse. Like the doctors do it all. Like they monitor urine and they walk the patients and they do all of it. They stick them. They do everything. I wish I could be a nurse. So they don't those. even need nurses. Yeah. I wish I could be a nurse in that hospital. Like what'd you do today, right. Tom? You Nothing. just stand there and look at them. <laughs> watch Netflix for 12 hours. Right. Yes. And I got paid a lot of money to sit around and watch Netflix. So it's great. So I guess it's time for some of the questions I know me and Ben, you'll probably have for you as a cardiology nurse. And and one of the first things, especially for a newer family nurse practitioner for me, like let's say I want to refer someone to your office. What are some of the things you want to see me do, have done, et cetera, before we send you that patient? Well, basically, sometimes I look at notes and I'm like, why are they coming here? Like history might not be very good. Like I want to see a relevant history of why they're coming to see me. If you have any images, I want to see that or any labs. If not, then generally I'm going to draw my own. I might send them over to the hospital and get my own labs. I'll order my own tests. Usually I want to know a good reason for referral, that kind of thing. Also, like if you send me a cardiac clearance for surgery, like please put on there what kind of surgery they're having and who's doing it. Like I got a request today, patient needs cardiac clearance for surgery. Okay, who's doing it and what is it? So you kind of get a question of that. 
So in the note, I shouldn't just put, I don't know, you figure it out. You don't want to <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, just uh, don't be like, okay, well, patient just says I got heart problems. I'm like, okay, what kind of problem? Like, I want to know. I mean, I don't say you do my whole <laughs> workup for me, but I want an idea. But I'm kind of, I don't know. I like to know a little bit more before they get there. So I kind of have an idea of what I'm going to do. So are there some things that we can do from a primary care standpoint that would expedite the process for you other than getting a good history? I mean, is there certain labs? Yeah, I mean, sometimes know? if the patient is having more acute chest discomfort, not like acute like right now, but like if they're having chest pain and maybe it's going to be a little bit before we can see them, sometimes you can go ahead and order an echo and we can get it done in our office. I'm just saying about where I work, I might like to get that done ahead of time. I might like to get a stress test so that it's kind of ready when I see them. Sometimes I can get them in sooner and it doesn't have to be that way. But So for instance, is there a standard set of labs that you want to see or a specific set of labs or tests you want to see for a condition? Like let's say a guy is having a stable chest pain and it's not going away. We ruled out costochondroitis, right. all this other stuff. What are some standard things that you as a cardiology MP would like to see done or have been ordered before you get them? Like, give me some help. Give me some advice to help you out. Sometimes I just want a, a general idea of what their cholesterol is. Of course, you guys check that stuff anyway. Look at like maybe a CMP, a CBC, things like that. But generally like, okay, maybe not for a chest pain, but say like if they're a heart patient, I want to see what their BNP was. Things like that. Trends of maybe weights or general things that of that nature. Usually if you were going to send them to me, I want to know, okay. Well, what I'm thinking is what if I, what, what if every time I send you a patient, I just go, Oh, by the way, I drew a D dimer. He said, you check it out. And then yeah, just let no, it go. I don't like that. Cause if you draw it <laughs> and say it was positive, well, I mean, what are you going to do? They you need a more problem. immediate test, you know? No, I just said you catch it, you clean it. If you have a positive D-diamond, you better be chasing that shit. Yeah, you better go. Not me. Like, nope. Um, I was talking early on. If you don't want to handle it, you don't draw it. Boom. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that is sage advice. And there's been plenty of times they'll be like, well, why aren't you? I'm like, look, it's not necessary for what right. I'm doing. And if I draw this and it's positive, now I am. You're right. taking it. So if it, I find so. incidental findings, that means that I'm now responsible for trying to get them where they need to be. Now, although... That may be a shitty way to think. That's kind of the thing, though, because you don't want to be covered up in things that aren't your area. You don't? That's no. funny. So <laughs> I just in my head, I just imagine Jen reading a note. Patient says chest hurt, doesn't want to be here. Like, what? Right. The so I'm hell? like, bye. Like, why would you say that? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. Okay. So here's a scenario, though. And I know uh, an ortho. Uh, specialist that they said, you know, do this, this, and this. If everything doesn't come back, send them to us anyways, and we'll figure it yeah. out. Let's say we we run some tests, everything's normal, but they're still having chest yeah, pain. Yeah, okay. Is that something you still want to? Yeah, okay. I want to see that too. And so like if they have, they're still having chest pain, maybe they have never had a heart cath before. Usually kind of we err on the side of caution. Like, okay, well, one of my doctors is like, well, everybody deserves a heart cath. So at least we can get in there and see what's going on. You know, <laughs> like there are some other testing like you can do CT tests, things like that, to look at the coronary arteries. But like where I live, there's we don't really do that routinely. I think you have to have special CT or something for that. So we sometimes just go ahead and do a heart cath. Like we're going to get in there and look. You know, I'm going to put this out there. I've told everybody I know that if I ever win the lottery, literally the first thing I'm doing is getting a heart cath and an MRI from my head to my foot. Because yeah. it, just the luck of me winning the lottery ensures that I'm going to drop dead within a one week period. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, I might go out, but it's not going to be for something I can fix with money. So right. that's, 
So that's why when you said everyone deserves a heart cath, I'm like, you're damn right we do. Yes. Like, <laughs> somebody stick that thing in there. Look at now, it. Okay. You know what? I tell my patients, I'm like, okay, best case scenario, there's nothing wrong with you. Right. And that's great. So then we know. And then we can say, okay, now we want to figure out what else it could be. So that's the biggie. And then we get rid of it. Okay. Like so I do have a question about heart casts. And I, I, again, I'm not expecting you to, to answer everything under the sun, but I do have a question about okay. that. So let's say it's a non-STEMI. This is a diagnostic heart cath, et cetera. What is, and I know there are some changes. I know the hospital I had worked at previously was looking at doing some changes and really going to the radial insertion versus strictly ephemeral right. insertion. Have you guys started moving to more radial insertions? Well, the doctors that I work with have talked about doing that, but right now they still do femoral insertions. There are a couple of physicians that do radials, but like at other hospitals, there are a few that had come through ours before, but I think you may have to go to certain training and things like, for whatever reason, they're not doing that yet. I was going to ask if there was specific parameters or anything that differentiate ephemeral. I'm really not sure as to why they would choose to do a radial or ephemeral. I would imagine that just for, as a nursing thing, you would not want to stick ephemeral if you could keep from it right. just because it's a yeah. kind of dirty area but i really don't know any specifics of why over the other i know prior to finishing nurse practitioner school i had done some float rotations and ended up taking care of some post and the people that had the radial so oh, yeah. much easier so much easier on the patient on the staff I mean, the recovery right. time, it was basically like nothing had happened versus when they got that femoral stick. Well, yeah, you're you going to lay like, there for like six to eight hours if they don't you know, do a like perk close or something like that. Or if the patient won't stay still, it's a lot harder to keep that area straight and to keep them from having a hematoma, of course. So yes. do you ever get, obviously not like first says, but I mean, do you ever scrub into any heart cast? I don't, no. Observe? Mostly, um, mostly what I do is more supportive of the doctor. So while they're handling procedures and things, then I'm handling stuff on the floor, like running interference with everything else that might be needed. And then I know that there were some practitioners before that, I mean, sometimes they might be present during that, but this time they don't really need me. I mean, their cath is very efficient and they've been working there for a long time and they're all really great. And so they, I don't know what I would add to their team, I guess I would say. So we talked about things that you want to see from primary care when you get a referral. So are there things that, at least for your area, that you're like, look, guys, you're, you're wasting resources or you're wasting time. Don't order this shit. Yeah. Me. Okay. So like today I had a patient that had a Holter monitor order. She had palpitations. They only did it for 24 hours. So it doesn't really give me very long to look at. But plus the paper that they faxed over, I couldn't read anything. All the numbers were smudged together. You couldn't read the rhythms. I couldn't read anything on the paper. So I'm like, okay, well, this is a waste of time. Like she wore this. There's an expense for it, but I can't read it. So I'm just going to order a 21-day MCOT and then see what's going on. So they wrote it back to you in hieroglyphics. That's pretty awesome. Basically. Yeah. It <laughs> okay. was horrible. Okay. Well, and I, I want to stick with the things not to do subject here for a minute, but I guess that's one of the things to clarify. So let's say from the office setting, I am going to order a Holter monitor. Is there a standard amount of time that you want to see? Because obviously they thought 24 hours was enough. So what do you want to see? Right. They, they thought that was sufficient. Usually, just from my standpoint, I usually want to see at least two to three weeks. Sometimes maybe a day would be sufficient, but generally I want to see a longer period of time so that maybe I can catch something. I kind of just kind of see that as being similar to this old cartoon with this dancing frog, like he would dance yeah, yeah. when nobody was looking. And then 
just sit there when the guy was trying to show him off. So I feel like sometimes heart problems are like that. And even though maybe I do a three-week monitor, maybe they don't show AFib during that time, but I'd be more likely to catch it. Wow. Okay, because that blew my mind. Mine too. Like I usually will order like a 48-hour. I've seen like our cardiology in this area, they'll order like a 30-day health monitor, but I thought that was something that was going to have to go through all kinds of prior auth and bullshit that at 48. Uh, I don't think it does. We It's pretty easy for us to order them, or at least my MAs don't complain a lot about it. <laughs> they just do it. So either they're just used to it or I don't know. Wow. Yeah, no, I was used to the 48, 72 hours. When she said two to three weeks, I was like, she said two to three. I'm like, okay. She's like weeks. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. That could be See? overkill to some people, but I mean, I kind of follow what my doctors do because I want to be like them. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I want to be yeah. able to provide the kind of care that they give. And so I'm like, well, if a little's good, then a lot's better. And so we'll just look at it for an extended period of time. Well, I think the reasoning is sound. Like you yeah. said, you're more likely to catch that irregular rhythm in 21 days versus, you know, 21 hours. Right, because right? maybe they only have um, palpitations when they lay down at night. Or maybe it's only, uh, I don't know, in some weird sense where maybe they ate too much. Or I mean, who knows why, but... If I can look at it for a longer window of time, then maybe I can find out what it is. And then sometimes even those kinds of people, we might send them to an electrophysiologist to see maybe if they want an implanted loop recorder. And then that way we can just monitor them all the time. So do you have problems with compliance with a 21-day holder? I mean, I have patients who uh, some people Tylenol or their fucking insulin. So, I mean, that, do you have a compliance issue or... Well, yeah, of course. Some people get it and then they're like, I can't wear that thing and just send it back. Or they can't figure out how to stick the stickers on. Or they'll complain about, I don't know, one lady said that the gel would burn her skin, things like that. Or like, usually I just ask them up front, hey, are you going to, you know, are you going to wear this? Because we really want to know what's going on. And I kind of just stress the importance of that. I mean, we even have people that really don't want to wear a life vest when they have a decreased ejection fraction. So even as important as that would be, people still don't do that. So Wow. Okay. So roger that on halter monitors. Sorry. What else do you want? No, no, <laughs> no. Downer. This, no, this is, this is the type, this is the reason we have you on the show. These are the things we want to hear. So give me some more. Tell me more things like that you see or that you have seen, or maybe you've just heard about from your physicians, stuff that, that we in the primary, cause this is, I, I'm sure Ben's going to, you know, have his point of view here in a second, but if I get to the point where I am sending them to you, it's because I think there's a real problem and well, I really yeah. want it fixed. So I want to make sure I'm helping you out. So so what are some other things? Right. And there's never I never want to say, oh, primary's not doing their job. That's never the case because we're trying to work together. And usually they see but the patient more than I do. Do what? <laughs> but we do. Yeah. Sometimes we'll talk shit just because we're frustrated and we're just like, what the fuck? We got to blame somebody. You know how it goes. So, <laughs> yeah. Why do you think it. they laid it on your right, lap? Like, I'm done with them. Yeah. I saw Mrs. Jones five times this week, and I'm done with her. Let me send her to cardio. So, like, usually, I, I don't. Here's what I like to do. Okay, so like with cardiology, like I I haven't found anything. All my tests are negative. You know where we go? GI. We're gonna send them to GI, Ooh. and then I'm gonna see if there's something going on with their stomach. And then I'm I'm I get a reprieve I, for a little bit because they're gonna be worked up for GI. You know, I always think of the GI office like the dwarves off of uh the, like the Lord yes. of the Rings, like they're tunneling into a mountain i'm like yep that's the gi guys like i yeah, see pickaxes in my head when i hear gi yeah no. yep there you go they're digging right. there no, you I mean, go i don't know gi is <laughs> important cardio. too they're all important oh yeah <laughs> cardio turfs to gi <laughs> this is awesome you've never heard that oh my god sometimes we're just like okay I don't know. Us peasants down in family medicine don't always know what you guys well, you do know. in the ivory tower. So <laughs> it's hard for us to tell. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? Like, tell me something else to not do. I don't know. I mean, okay. So like if I, if I start them on like saying Tresto for heart failure, 
Just something like that. Please don't stop it. There's a reason they're on it. Or if you're going to stop it, like, let me know. Hold on. That's a valid point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hold on. Actually, again, new NP here. So I I just want to make sure I'm understanding the path here. So family practice sends them to cardiology to fix a problem. Cardiology is trying to fix the problem at which point family practice then stops treatment of said problem oh like when it just depends i guess on the patient oh jesus i just i guess i don't want the it's hard i know that i can't really just give a general okay when they're 84 and they're like whatever <laughs> no i meant like, i don't know i mean like if i send them to you for treatment and you start them on treatment and it comes back and even if i go huh I, i'm not gonna stop it <laughs> like well, it that's why be, i sent them to you it may not be that but some people do you might not do that but some other people do oh. and i'll be like okay why so we were saying, Ben. I was gonna say it may not be that Tom as much as maybe they're we pull a CMP and their GFRs went from sixty to thirty, and you're like, well, shit, this is the only new medicine. Is this potential? Right, right, right. And so you worry about that, but then also, you know, sometimes I guess sometimes we're like, okay, well, kidneys may take a little bit of a hit, but we're still gonna go on with this because usually, sometimes even in advanced heart failure, we're just like, well, we're just gonna see what we can do to relieve some symptoms, so we don't really want to mess with it. But usually by that point, it's specialists that are all managing their meds anyway. But I agree, we should at least let cardiology know. Hey, <laughs> I guess just I guess just what I what I mean is is let us handle our our business like i'm not gonna go and titrate their other medicines that i have nothing to deal with you might you don't know we don't know we don't know if I you would. do yeah <laughs> yeah so Never. i'm like go ahead go take all the ambient and things that you want i'm <laughs> worried about it. Have a thing. here you go yeah i'm just playing uh, i'm just kidding <laughs> okay so jen what are some common things that you see that are easily treatable and again i don't expect some comprehensive list like what are some things that you see that make you go oh yeah that's great and what are some things that you see from we give you that you're like oh god i don't want to see that well i mean like what is your personal like happy and personal sad when you see on a patient list i mean i like seeing everybody i guess is the the happy medium answer but here's the deal though like um (laughs) like if it's just like a blood pressure and they're they're only on like say an ace and like they're not on hydrochlorothiazide and nobody's following any kind of a adding on any kind of medications like i'm like why are you here for that they can do that if it's just blood pressure so i'm like okay add another med okay. titrate it up like if they're only on 20 lisinopril and you're sending them because they're hard to control blood pressure like come on man add something but like you know other things i want to see it okay it's not really mundane. Well, what I mean is, is like, what what are some diagnoses that you're like, oh, yeah, I like taking care of these or things that you're like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. Like, I like AFib. That's fun sometimes. Heart failure is something I really enjoy because you can see a lot of improvement sometimes in your patients. And then also sometimes if they're non-compliant, of course, they're going to go downhill. And sometimes it's faster than what you had anticipated. So what are the things you don't want to see? Well, the only things that I like really, things that we don't manage, like other cardiology specialists might but like we don't really deal with lipid disorders and things like that that's not really something that we mess with we usually let primary handle that and then sometimes we'll help like if they have really hard to control things and then lately we've been trying to use like rapatha and things like that to control ldl but there's really not anything that i'm just like oh man no i just like to turf everything cardio dizziness okay here's what i hate syncope and dizziness although you know i still treat that but it's really irritating to work it up because i don't you don't always just oh, it's know irritating what it is. primary care also like again yeah. dizziness yeah. you're like well shit this could be 45 yeah. things. like right anything because yeah. it's very subjective i don't have anything to really figure it out because if you get somebody in their, i mean their blood pressures are okay you've, you've done a monitor there's nothing 
I mean, everything looks good, and they're still like, I'm dizzy all the time. I'm like, okay, man, I don't know. I got nothing. Yeah, no, dizziness is definitely one of those, like, damn it. Like, this is right. literally Right, so I'm like, okay, be... is it me? Should I send you to neuro, or is this just GI. you? Like, what do I, can we even fix it? GI. I was going to say GI. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know that's we'll a head scratcher. So that that's the they're di- constipated and they need your help <laughs> the gi head scratcher is always the dizziness right, like I don't what know, man. <laughs> that is cracking me up like i literally just pictured that in my head some gi physician going dizziness <laughs> like, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> well i mean sometimes and also like okay so another thing well like okay so if i work them up for heart stuff and they're short of breath then where do i go we send them to pulmonary like that's another person so we we go other places sometimes. I think the cover art for this episode should just be a bus. <laughs> uh, so unless you got something else, Ben, that you specifically, I know that you looked up broken heart syndrome. Right. Do you want to talk about that for a few minutes? Okay. So this isn't something that I'm an expert on by any means, but it is pretty interesting. I'm probably not saying this correctly at all because I'm not Japanese, but I think they call it Takotsubo. So basically it's broken heart syndrome. Sometimes it's called stress cardiomyopathy. From what I can understand, this really wasn't seen until around the 2000s. And mostly it was first studied in Japan and it was seen to happen in men. But other studies, it's mostly women that have this happen to them. Usually when they come in, it's an acute problem. You see that they're having a STEMI. They have uh, elevated troponins. Usually it's menopausal women. Usually they have history of psych or neuro issues, from what I can understand. They've gone through a stressful time. Maybe their spouse just died. Maybe they've had a breakup or something that caused an intense grief. You know, things like that. And from what I understand, they usually have a decreased ejection fraction that you'll see that you've never seen before. And then later on, it'll improve. And there's really no rhyme or reason. Usually they have a clean heart cath. There's really no nothing that you would attribute that to. And were you saying in pre-production that you have seen this before? Well, I, like I haven't like diagnosed it, but I have seen it diagnosed in the hospital a couple of times. And so basically like a couple of weeks ago, there was a elderly male that came in that they thought, you know, had stress cardiomyopathy. Recently, his wife had passed away and he was found to have a STEMI. And then they did a cath. Everything was good. That's really the only thing that they pointed to. That's really interesting that you can be grieving so hard that you actually throw yourself into a heart attack. Right. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you guys read that book where the red fern grows, but you know, like when one of the oh. dogs died, then later on the other one did too, because they were just so upset about losing their other one. Wait a minute. Tom, Tom, you're shaking your head. You have never read or watched the movie where the red fern grows? No. Not that oh. I can You are missing I mean, out. If it was required. You did not have a good childhood if you did if not see this. Requ- oh my gosh. Oh my God. So- if it was required reading in school at some point, I'm sure I read it, but it certainly did not grab my attention because I literally don't remember. You need to you need to watch it. <laughs> no, it was a good it was a good book, and there was just a little movie. You know, they made for the kids that didn't read, so then you could watch the movie. <laughs> well, I read plenty, but the, I, I just don't remember that. Okay, so basically, it's about okay. So I guess we'll segue into it. It's about this boy that wants these hunting dogs, and so he saves up some money. And orders these dogs, and I, I don't can't remember if they come in on a bus or a train, but whatever it is, he gets these dogs and teaches them how to hunt. I think they're just like red bone coon dogs or something. I don't know what they are, so. but anyway, he trains them to like hunt raccoons and stuff. Anyway, something happens. One of the dogs dies, and then the the female dog, I guess she's upset, you know, broken hearted, and then she passes away after that. That is a terrible story. I'm kind of glad I and didn't they, read it. And they bury the dogs next to each other, and then the red fern grows in between them, and that's the where the right. 
or the red farm growth. Because it's Jesus it's Christ. Love. I can't wait to talk to Andy about this who writes books for a living because that is some fucking bullshit. It's tragic. Like, oh, a red fern is there. Yeah, that's not, There's you know, probably some Machina symbolism right that there. My eight year old brain doesn't remember. I think it was like a true love thing. It was like, you know, because there was. I think right. So I'm just saying. It, it sounds like bullshit storytelling. Maybe it wasn't your eight-year-old brain. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's my thirty-eight-year-old brain going. Well, it just sounds like a shit story. Well, I'm not a, a very good storyteller <laughs> as it is, so it probably was a really good story. And I'm just not conveying the greatness of. Actually, I just was. I like hearing stories in your accent because I imagine they're going to be like this. He came up here, and I was like, mm -mm, "That's bullshit," and then it stopped. And I'm like, "That there you go. That's a whole story." <laughs> Thank you, Jed. So I appreciate that story. Uh, don't insult our guests. It wasn't an insult. I'm not insulted. I know I sound no, like a redneck. No, no, no. Okay. I don't mean it like that. I mean, she has just got that snappy, like, mm-hmm, and mm -hmm. it just, like, nobody's going to argue with her. It's just like, she's like, no, oh, this is no. going to happen. And you're like, yes, ma'am. And it just happened. <laughs> I didn't mean, like, bad. That's part of my type A. I can't help it. And also, I'm, like, the oldest of five kids, so if you don't say what you have to say, like, you won't get heard. Roger that. I only have a couple sisters, but I understand that. So, I guess I also want to point out that you said the study was in Japan. We also have listeners in Japan. Shout out to you guys. Oh. So if somebody's out there in Japan is listening and you heard her say, I don't know how to pronounce this. Hey, let us know. Send us an email, whatever else, and say, hey, this is how you actually pronounce that. And or if you have some more information on that original study, I think that'd be really cool. Right. So just throw that out there. Well, let's jump into some listener questions. How about that, Tom? So we threw it out on the Facebook page that, hey, we're going to bring on a cardiology nurse practitioner. What are some questions that you want to ask her? Had a couple of questions. The first was from Jeff. He said, how much are you using the CAC and the CCTA in practice? What risk calculators are you recommending that factor into past medical history or family history? Okay. So basically where I live, we're really not using the CAC like calcium scoring. Okay. I think it's just because I live in a smaller place, but even like an hour, two hours away from here, like they are doing that. And it's awesome because basically um, it's a screening tool that's, it just helps you um, screen people that could have coronary artery disease. So like basically if you get a borderline score, they need a stress test or a heart cath. But I think I did have a lady recently that did have a significant score. I can't remember exactly what it was, but her heart cath was actually clean. But usually these people are younger. They have a family history of heart disease. It usually helps to detect disease early. And best candidates, I think, for this testing is like if you had high cholesterol, a hypertension, diabetes, things like that. Also, I think the test only costs usually around $75. So it's probably like one of the cheaper studies that you can do to predict your risk of heart disease. Okay. The other question that we had was, it was it's Christine from Antidote Stories of Medicine. So she said, for fun, what's the craziest incidental finding rhythm that you've had? I know we talked pre-production. You said there hasn't been a whole right. lot. So let's, I'm going to change her question i'm gonna take some creative licensing I'm sure she won't mind so what's the craziest story that you can tell us without violating any hipaa regulations what's the craziest thing that you've seen either as a practitioner as a nurse or whatever cardiac wise probably the most messed up thing was a, a patient that had had a cabbage and then we ended up having to open the re-entry cart in the icu after he went into vtac v-fib and had to just basically crack his chest right there and then all the tissue basically looked gray and dead. Now, why it was that way, I don't know, oh. but he's a fairly young guy, and that was probably like the freakiest thing I've seen. So did he make it? No. <laughs> I figured when you said we cracked his chest open and it was gray, yeah, that that's was a it. You know, indicator. 
Yeah, not good. Tends to be a bad sign. So what you're saying as a cardiology professional, that gray tissue is bad. Yeah, dead, gross. Just throwing that out there, you know, yeah. just trying to learn every day. Green tissue is even worse. <laughs> Green, yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh. No, I mean, I don't know. There's been a lot of things. I mean, we've run codes in ICU, things like that. I mean, I don't know if anybody just really wants to hear like. Well, I have two I'll, I'll throw out there for you. I had a guy that I seen in clinic that he come in and he's like, you know, I just have some chest pressure sometimes and I have to hit myself in the chest to get it to stop. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound good. Oh. <laughs> so we do some EKG, do some blood work on him. Mr. Fonin's like 30. Call the local cardiologist. I'm like, hey, here's what I got. And call the guy back and he's like, yeah, I got some stuff to do today. I don't know if I'm able to make it into the hospital for that heart cath. I'm like, no, you need to go because you're trying to die. Yeah, like right and now. And having like a 97% LCA occlusion. So doing fine now. But uh, that was interesting to have. He was basically cardiac thumping himself to alleviate his chest pressure. And then when I was a nurse in the ER years ago, we saw this guy and he had a pacemaker and defibrillator. And it was misfiring on him. And so you would sit there and watch the monitor. And it was as the nurse was trying to start his IV. Every time that she would go to stick him, you could watch the monitor start to flip just slightly abnormal. And then his pacemaker would fire. So it took her like nine sticks to get him because every literally every time that she would stick him, his pacemaker would fire. Wow. With- well, that does remind me of a patient I had recently, like in the last couple of months. He His ICD shocked him probably 20 to 30 times within the span of three days. But then when you ask him about it, I, he never felt anything. So I'm like, I don't understand that. But it could be due to his mentation too. So, But I was just like, I have never heard of anybody's device shocking them that many times. Huh, well, Or shocking them and them not realizing that a mule just kicked them. Right, and then you don't even know. Like, everybody I've ever heard of, like it... Well, from what I've seen from this... And you don't remember yeah, any? this guy was definitely painful, because you could see it, and then I'd be like, hey, it's getting ready to do it, and he'd be like, yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, bad for him. And oh, then we ended no. up getting him over to cardiology and getting things taken care of, but yeah. Crazy heart stuff. Right, just like if you've ever had to emergently defibrillate somebody yeah. that's awake, that's not good. Uh, yes, I have been there for that one, and when you have yeah, to tell, scary. like, the guy's looking at you, and he's like, i like, this is going to hurt. <laughs> like, I didn't know what else to say to him. Right. I was like, so you know. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. like, sorry. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Chucko. This is about to suck. And, you know, I mean, he was actually, yeah, he he was he was very pleasant afterwards. But, I mean, that look on his face, I looked him dead in the eye. I was like, yeah, this is going to suck. And, you know. Yeah, like that holy shit look on his face. Like, what are you about to do to me? Well, he had that look when I was placing the pads on him. And I was like, I think he mm. had figured out something bad was about to happen. So, Right. But, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, we do it for a reason. And it's a good reason. And he's alive. So that's what counts. I just, uh, I mean, I guess I have some weird stories. But, I mean, they all fall under the same thing. I guess running into a patient in ICU that was in Torsades, that was a, like you just stop and you look and you're like, I was a brand new ICU nurse then too. So man, uh, I just was like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Something seems awfully. Like it took you 30 <laughs> minutes to do anything about it. In reality, it was probably just seconds. But still, you just <laughs> look at that monitor it. and you're like, you look at them, you look at the monitor. You're like, Hey, yeah. Hey, <laughs> something, <laughs> something awfully it. weird is happening. Yeah, exactly. Like, Stop don't you do it. this to right. me. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I'm just going to leave the room and shut the door and we'll just act like this never happened. He'll come right out of it. He'll snap around. <laughs> well, we uh, thank Go our ahead. listeners for responding on our social media page, giving us some questions to ask Jen. 
Well, thanks for having me. And I just want to say thank you, Jen, for putting up with, I'm sure, what's going to be uneven audio on my point, since I'm just learning how to use a new microphone <laughs> for the first time. So I really appreciate your help with that. Oh, well, you're welcome, but I don't even have a fancy microphone. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, you know, when you have your, <laughs> I guess I was about to use the word fancy. Sorry, I was marrying <laughs> you there. Um, when you have your podcast on how to turf to GI, <laughs> you right. can go ahead and get that fancy microphone. Right. And then every week, just have a story about this is how you get the butt miners right. and you just toss it to GI. Basically, you just say, I don't know what's going on. Let's send them to GI. <laughs> occasionally, occasionally, I like to send them to Nero <laughs> or Pole just to throw them off. Right. Every now and then. Hey, we're going to get you back to, to pulmonary. I don't know what this dizziness is. Let's get to Nero. <laughs> Yeah, but but my stomach really That's hurts. That's kind of my rule of thumb. Like, I'm sure there's a more of an intelligent way to explain that so that you don't sound like you're just putting it off on people. But No, no, no. I, I like the thought of just randomly assigning people. Like I said, <laughs> abdominal pain. Yeah, but it's Neuro's turn. So uh, I guess you're yeah. Disney, too. Right. So. <laughs> straws. Okay, well, Miss Jones, where have you been? Let's see. You went to pulmonary last month. Let's see where we can get you this time. I'm Endocrinology. Ooh. Yeah, maybe they need to go there too. It could be a blood disorder. Maybe um maybe that's why you're dizzy. I don't know. Rheumatology. Oh okay. yeah. Right. <laughs> and we are Derm. Derm. I hate Derm. Um I don't mean I don't mean the dermatology. I don't get to send anybody there. I, I sent lots of people there. So I can already see your note though, Jen. They were blue in the face, so I sent them to dermatology. Right. Look kind of funny. They might need some Botox. They had a frown. I don't know. Like, Every time they said their chest hurt, they got really grumpy looking, right. so I sent them to Durham. Then they'll be happy. <laughs> and of course, we are, you know, making light of situations and we're having Right. Fun I'm just with really it, just playing. It's really more serious than yeah, that. Much more serious. And we do appreciate coming on the show and helping us out uh, with the cardiology episode on Valentine's Day and. Dom, you got anything else other than wrapping it up with some social media? No, just I hope I sounded better and God, I'm still angry. Well, you don't sound like trying to pull a cat through a screen door, so yes, yes. I don't, for some reason, sound echoey, like I'm actually three feet from the microphone. What do you know? It's amazing. Well, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web, you can find us on the web, www.justsomepodcast.com, <laughs> or you can email us, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Tom? I, I was just waiting to, to hear the end of it, see if you were going to mumble again. I was waiting for Jen to already right. start writing out the uh, transfer Neuro, paperwork Neuro. to pulmonology if you kept mumbling. So. <laughs> Neurology. <laughs> yeah. Neuro, I was still stuck on palm. I really wanted to say derm or GI just, uh, just to have some fun. But no. Yeah, go ahead and give us a uh, shout out or a rating and review on any of our social media. Please use that affiliate link on our website to do any of your Amazon shopping. We would really appreciate it. It would help out the show. And I know we have got several people using it. So that has been awesome. And thank you all very much. But other than that, I don't really have a lot. So, Jen, do you have any last things you want to say? Bye. (laughs) I like it. That was, uh, yeah. And happy Valentine's Day. That's why she's the best color commentator in baseball, people. (laughs) So next week, Tom, we're going to play the rest of the Jeff episodes. May cut it down into one or two, depending on how long it goes. But we're going to cover diabetes. And we go way in-depth into the path of diabetes. And then we cover some treatment options as well. It was a great conversation with Jeff. And uh, looking forward to having those out there. 
Yeah, me too, even though I sound like shit. No, the microphone's you're gonna great, you're good. Yeah, but I recorded it on the other <laughs> yeah, one, true. so Just mix it up. it's going to be crap, good, crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People will never know what uh, they expect. Okay, no. sorry. Never know. Yeah, well, I like it like that. Keep them on their toes. All right, All right well, this is Ben. Hope everybody has a great week. This is Tom. Everybody stay safe out there. <laughs>